Welcome to The Truth in This Art. I am your host, Rob Lee. And today, um, this is a, an illustrious guest. I want to I want to bury the lead real quick. It's like, look, you know, I've given you guys so many different people, so many different stories. But this time, this is something near and dear to me in my just exploratory. Like, I live vicariously through my next guest. You know, my next guest, entrepreneur, restaurateur, writer, please welcome Lane Harlan. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Rob. Happy to be here. Happy to have you on here. Um, and, you know, as I said, I was going to bury the lead a little bit, but I want to start off by asking you to inform those who, who might not be informed, who are undipped. What are those vital stats? What's your background? And really, how'd you get started in this industry in and around Baltimore, the food and bev industry? Yeah, um, well, I, I, I moved to Baltimore to go to college. I went to UMBC and um, I had from a very young age, uh, I think 15, I started working in restaurants. Um, so I had that as a sort of way to make a little extra money. And, and when I went to UMBC, um, I, uh, I ended up living in Bolton Hill and I needed a job. So I was 17 because I graduated early. And I remember I walked into the Brass Elephant restaurant. It then was sort of like, uh, you know, old guard French fine dining restaurant, um, on Charles street. A lot of people knew it, um, because it was a really beautiful, uh, building with antiques and a teak dining room. Um, anyway, I walked in there trying to get a job and the manager just kind of looked me up and down and was like, no, <laughs> you know, like, no, you, what you've worked at like Denny's and Hibachi grills. Like you no, you're too young. Come back next year. Um, and actually I just, in that moment, I really wanted to work there so bad just because I thought the building was so beautiful and I really saw myself working there. So I just kind of like said, look, um, you know, I, I don't have to even be a busser. Like I could just like, you know, iron uniforms, I can help, I can take out trash, you know, and, and he, I think that he just thought I was funny or something. Um, so, you know, the manager gave me a job and that's exactly what I did. I mean, I, I would like make butter in the basement. Uh, you know, you fine dining, you used to have like the really like intricate shapes of butter, you know, on your like bread and butter plate. And I would just do that. Um, I would iron people's uniforms and the building has like a spire at the top. And I just remember like, it was so incredibly humid up there. So I'd just be like sweating, ironing <laughs> uniform after uniform. Uh, and then, you know, eventually they let me, you know, crumb tables and follow around the bussers. I became a busser and um, I just was, I just felt like I was really good at that kind of a job, like a service um, related job. I thought I was good at sort of anticipating what people needed um, and, you know, also being kind of very quietly in the background because uh, th this style of service was sort of like, you know, don't speak unless you're spoken to just kind of, it was, it was called seamless service. That was what they taught me. Like, you know, you just, you do everything without them even asking or knowing that you're doing it. So I sort of was just like a little mouse, like doing all these things. And then after that, I ended up um, working at a corporate restaurant. I worked at Roy's in the Inner Harbor. And this is all the while I'm, I'm going to UMBC and, and commuting to school. Uh, and that was a totally different thing because that was a thing where suddenly, you know, I started as a host and then I was a server, but it was like, 
this is corporate. So here's your spiel. You're going to go up to every table and you're going to give this like really long speech. You're, you're very like heavy on talking to the table. And also there was always this like threat of these people, uh, these like shoppers. There were these people that would come in and, and, and rate, I think because it was corporate, they had right. their own like system of like rating, you know, how well that, that one, um, uh, that one, not chain, but, uh, the one franchise was doing um in in the one place so uh you know we were always afraid of not saying all the things we needed to say and it was just a really fast-paced environment um but i learned a lot of what not to do in the future when i'd become a business owner at at that place um and also i realized a lot of things about myself i mean i went from hosting to being a food runner and at the time food runners were only men and they were the highest paid of the service staff in the front because they were really like the connection between this very fast paced, loud, intense kitchen and then the many servers out on the floor. So right. like the food runners would get tipped out by all of the servers and they would handle a lot and they would basically be dancing the whole night in this sort of like incredibly intricate multitasking dance, um, just figuring out timing of food, of courses, and really a lot of hauling plates and fast paced running, really. It was called sure. running for a reason. Um, but I got that, I got that, I got put into that role and I was, it was me in between these two veteran guys that were kind of like, how the hell did she get up here? And I got up there and I think I just got up there because I had filled in one day and then I was really good at it. Also good at speaking to people like, you know, I had studied language a bit. So I was speaking a bit of Spanish and like, I was just really connecting like with the back of house a lot. And, uh, yeah, so that I, I guess I don't, I can't even remember your question anymore, but I think it was sort of like, who am I? I mean, I, I had the background of being in the industry. Yeah. That was how I was paying my bills. That's how I was paying my rent. That's how I was trying to put myself through school. And eventually, um, I, I dropped out of school, you know, I, there, I spent about two years abroad. I was studying French and political science. One year was study abroad. Another year was sort of like, I'm taking a year off. I got this teaching assistantship in France. I'm going to go be a bon vivant for one more year. And then I'm slowly going to drop out of school. What happened is that um, I couldn't pass math class. Um, I had taken math three times. And then the last time I, I even had a tutor. Um, at the time I was bartending at Jack's Bistro, which was like a mom and pop place in, um, across town. Uh, and, uh, one of my regulars was a math with, was my math professor right. and was like trying to tutor me and it didn't even work out. So I just, I'm telling you math 101, not my thing. Couldn't pass college. And I, I stopped short of that degree on just those three credits from that math class. But funny story in the pandemic, when things sort of slowed down a little and, and a lot of my businesses were closed and we were just doing carry out only, I found myself with a little more free time. I did a virtual um, online stat 100 class at a uh, community college and I, I finally got my degree. Let's so go. Let's go over. But because, you know, I just couldn't, I, I couldn't handle the, uh, the paying of the student loans still and knowing <laughs> that I didn't have the paper, you know, I just needed the paper. You know, it was like 11 years later or something, but it like, it, it never stopped bothering, you know, like, I'm like, never going to use that degree. You know, it's a poli sci degree. What am I going to do with that? But it was like, I, I just, I'm paying these loans every month. I see this charge on my account and I'm like, I have no paper and it's all because of math. You know, I, of course now in business, you, 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 you realize like, 
oh, well, the things you're not good at, you've got to find people that are, right? right. Like I've got a great accountant. I've got <laughs> people that are good at the things I'm terrible at. But yeah, just um, the numbers thing, it really had, it kind of held me back a little bit. That it, it, that that reminded me of this uh, this bit from this uh, comedian Kyle Kinane. He was talking about his uh, degree. He's a you know stand up comedian. He was talking about like every month when I send that check over for my student loans, it's like putting dry spaghetti in an envelope. It's like I'm never going to cook this. I'm never going to use it for anything. And I was like, just that visual just makes me laugh every time. <laughs> and I know a lot of people who are who are visual like whenever, whenever i see you and i'm not saying this is, is gas or anything whenever i see you you online or what have you there's always a, a, an artfulness a, a class an aesthetic component that's there and y'all don't have time for numbers y'all don't, don't care about them it's just like it, it's just that like i'm an analyst so i'm not artistic at all it's like oh yeah yeah then these are these numbers how many downloads did i get but uh <laughs> you guys that are the, the more like the visual it's like you know how things should look and everything is framed out every picture i see that coming from you is framed out in such a way i was like i need to be your friend I'm like this is <laughs> maybe i'll get some class um so so but, but thank you for for sharing that or what have you and um yeah it is important to just just for your own edification let me get that let me let me get that let me wrap this up i'm at this stage let me stop sending this out these, these loan payments out there without um having that piece of paper so it's important uh, so I read a quote from, in, in Bon Appetit. Um, I think it's one of your quotes where it's like space uh, dictates what you do with them. Uh, well, spaces dictate what you do with them. So walk me through the process of imagining a space and the possibilities of what it can become. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, when when we have a concept of what we want to do, it's like you have this idea, you have this passion of this this sort of thing that you want to share with people. But then the reality of finding the right space for it comes into play. And, you know, for us, we've always dealt in very old buildings. You know, that was kind of how we were able to begin was by finding a really rundown sort of old building bar that had been closed and then sort of like uh, redoing it. Um, and I think that, you know, you go into a room, like, for example, if it's got high ceilings and there's no second floor, well, maybe it needs a skylight, right? Maybe it needs a skylight because maybe there's not enough natural light. Um, and you have that possibility with Clavel. It was really funny because I think a lot of people don't really know this side of the story, but, um, it was really just supposed to be a tiny tasting bar. You know, my idea was to have a mezcaleria where it's pretty much just in the, you know, I planned that it would be me, just me in the beginning, uh, standing behind a bar, maybe, you know, not open every day even, and just sort of teaching people about mezcal, sharing mezcal, making a couple of mezcal cocktails. It was supposed to be very small, but the building that we found was Corky's, which was the building, you know, one block from WC Harlan. Corky's yeah. was a big green building. It had been sort of a uh, cheesesteak pizza spot, spot you could kind of play uh, Kino and buy cigarettes out of the machine and had been there for over 20 years. The owner... Uh, really, he had it for so long. He was, he had a bad hip. He had some health problems. He was kind of over it. And it was being for, it, he put it up uh, for sale on Craigslist, you know, it, and it stayed, it was up there for a long time. Um, so he had been sort of trying to get rid of it over the years and no one was interested because it was such an eyesore. But when we realized that it was up for sale, we thought, okay, let's go look at this place. 
Mm-hmm. I went in and I was just, holy, like, it's just huge. It had this huge kitchen, an open kitchen. And, you know, it obviously we, we changed the way it looked a lot. But when you would walk in there, it was like this long lunch counter, like literally had the metal rails where you'd slide a tray, yeah. you know, big like soda machine, all the sort of like neon, not neon, but fluorescent signs with the cheesesteaks and the pizzas <laughs> and, um, you know, the food was pretty good. Like people liked the food. It was like good neighborhood food and there's li- like nothing really wrong with it. It's just, it's just that he didn't want it anymore. And it, right. it's, it's, it's time had passed. And, um, we were just thinking, Oh, it'd be amazing because I could work at WC Harlan. I could walk over here and work and I don't even have to get into a car. And, sure. and if you know me, like I hate cars, I, I, I will walk at any chance I get. I, I'd never like to be in a car. So, um, it just, it was like this huge space. So the little mescaleria suddenly turned into this idea of like, it has a kitchen. Maybe we have to do a restaurant, you know? Mm-hmm. And I never thought of that before because I'm not a chef. And I thought I'll never do something that I'm not good at. Right. So mm-hmm. I'm not going to become a chef all of a sudden. And that's not my passion. But uh, through a, just one lunch conversation with my sister who had uh, gotten together with Carlos's brother, had some kids. Carlos was family to me then had already spent holidays together. And, and, you know, I knew that he was working at giant, which is, you know, the grocery store. I knew that he wasn't super happy. I mean, I think he liked his job, but I think he maybe was kind of thinking maybe he'd do something else too, at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, my sister was just like, maybe Carlos wants to be a chef. I don't know, you know? So yeah. One thing led to another. And next thing you know, we're opening Clavel. Him and his wife and newborn are living on the apartment upstairs. And we're just like making it happen out of nothing. I love it. Crazy. But that space dictated it wanted to be a restaurant. It needed to be a restaurant. It would have been sad to rip a kitchen out. Like people know how much kitchens cost, how much hard work goes into building a kitchen, you know. And then tiny mescaleria doesn't really work in a space that big. But eventually I got my little mescaleria because we built the tasting bar later, you know, mm-hmm. so it came later. But no, sometimes the spaces you have a concept, but you go into the actual space, you walk around and you're like, this is telling me it's something different. And then you sort of you steer it a little bit. Yeah. And 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 I, and I like your eye in that regard, because you're right. Like it definitely it, it's like I can see what it possibly was in having that story that you shared and then seeing what it is now, because uh, I, I was there recently and uh, definitely had a had a great time, had a few too many tacos. And uh, I love mezcal. <laughs> so uh, that's that's what I had. And I was just like, oh, yes. And in fact, I am working with a, a local maker on a, a mezcal like cocktail that is uh, that I'm curating. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Make this, put my name on it. Yes, I love the smokiness. Make it for me. <laughs> so yeah, um, that was um, it, it. Was great to go there, have a nice little date night there. So that was really cool. Um, so read that you're a writer and following your social media. Obviously, you're you're a traveler. So um, share some of your like creative influences and and maybe how um, traveling has influenced some of your work. Absolutely, I, I traveling is really key to how I create. And I think that it's, it's, it's more, it's not just like seeing new things and, and, you know, being inspired by different ingredients around the world. It's more than that. It's like taking myself out of Baltimore physically 
gives me such perspective when I come back. Mm -hmm. It's such an important time for me to be away, but it's like the moment I land at BWI or Dulles or DCA and get, you know, start getting my bags, start traveling, and I enter the city, I just see it differently. I see the way the streets are differently. Everything smells different. The sky is different. I notice people differently. And it it really sort of um, steers like how I see my businesses and how I see things need to improve and change. And so it's really a clash of perspective that sort of gives me like this like fuel to constantly evolve the businesses. I love to travel because I love to get away and it, it's like a way of like decompressing. And especially if I can get in a, you know, a different time zone and people aren't, I'm not instantly reachable. Like if I can go to Japan, like, Oh my goodness, I would go every year if I could, if I could go, I mean, it's, but, but, but it's like, it's really just the, the perspective I get when I come home that fuels my work. I, I feel the same way. Um, even uh, the last time that I traveled was it was, you know, still on this coast or what have you. And it's just a Rhode Island. But um, it was a recharge creatively and, you know, doing these interviews and um, kind of being around folks who are doing things creatively. It's like, all right, I need to get a reset. And, you know, it was just like a week away. But that week was very rewarding and coming back. You know, even on the train back, I was like, okay, I got some new questions. I got some new thoughts. I got some new perspectives. And you need that. It's, it's very important. And um, I think over the last uh, two years or three years, really, at this point, not really having that, that opportunity to travel in a way that one normally would, I was kind of like a... I'm going to three different places this year. Let's make it happen. And now kind of meet like before the pandemic started, Rhode Island, like recently Rhode Island. I was like, look, I need to, I need to get somewhere else. <laughs> um, but yeah, definitely creativity. It definitely helps spark creativity for me. So um, they re-engage. I definitely can relate see, see that with you. So you've been described as the most interesting woman in the restaurant business. So I, I want to flip it a little bit. What currently interests you? What what are you what's like really on on Lane's mind these days? Um, yeah. So, I mean, recently I've been I have been getting into writing. There's a a, a period of time where I wasn't reading, and I think it I really it happens when you get busy, right? Mm -hmm. You sort of get into the work grind, and suddenly when you have free time, uh picking up a, a book sort of feels like work. Like you, when you get to that point, like sometimes you just want to like walk around the block, lay down and have a glass of wine, you know, like, or, you know, watch something, you know, you just don't, I wasn't reading enough. And, and when I'm not reading enough or I don't have the space around me, I'm not writing. And, um, I've been really trying lately to, and this is a format that i I've been fighting against for a long time, but which is digital. You know, I, I like to write with the pen in my hand and with paper, but, but I've been really trying to like get back a, a strong narrative of storytelling and truth telling and, and practice that in my iPhone notes. And I used to, you know, with poetry, I would sort of write, maybe I'd have the concept, the, the last line of the poem, which is usually the poem for me, right? I'd just write that in my iPhone notes. Then later with a pen and paper, I'd go back and edit it. What I've been trying to do now is like tell stories in my iPhone on my notes, but then email them to myself, copy paste them into Microsoft Word, and then go back and like 
sort of as a practice, try to tell a cohesive story that's not padded with crap and that is honest and that's not like what I think sounds good, but is actually what happened. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to learn how to do that. And I don't really know why or what it is, but it's just something I'm interested in right now. I'm just interested in like these experiences that I've had over time. How can I tell to people what, what I experienced and what it really meant to me. That didn't, it's, that's a meditation. That's something that, um, sort of comes after you've been through a lot of things. Right. And so I think that maybe I'm having like some kind of a moment where I'm sort of reckoning what the last decade was. And, and it is, you know, WC Harlan's turning 10, uh, in January. So it's coming up. Right. <laughs> right. So it's sort of like, I think I am a bit reflecting on sort of a decade of doing, you know, this sort of a business in Baltimore city, what it means, what, 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 you know, how my life has sort of changed from what I originally thought where where I thought it would be, you know, when I was in my twenties and whatnot. Um, and yeah, I'm just having sort of this, this, uh, I'm interested in the process of, uh, storytelling and, and, and having it be accurate. Yeah. I, I like that you, you want to tell the truth and you, you want to be, you're just really like, this is what happened. This is what the experience is. And not something that sounds cool. Like here's everything. Here's the situation. Warts and all. And you know, whatever that, 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 that hokey saying may be. And, and shout out to, you know, if, 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 if WC Harlan was a person, this a fellow Aquarius, like I am and <laughs> January, let's get it. Um, so looking back, um, what would, what would be that one thing you wish you understood before, like, like getting into business, like, 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 like starting WC Harlan before you get into, um, um, entrepreneurship, what, what would you wish you have known? Like that, you know, now that you're like, eh, this would have helped out a lot early on. Uh, I mean, I made a lot of mistakes, but I really feel that, you know, they made me a stronger leader. They made me better at my job. I think those things are necessary, but I, I guess this is a hard question for me, but looking back, I, it would have been nice to know at the time the, you know, just how much sacrifice would be made in order to create businesses. Like, and, and I mean, sacrifice through relationships, through time with family, sacrifice through your own creative experiences and and what you want to put out. Because I feel like when you open these these places that are so intertwined with your passions you're you're giving a lot of output you're constantly sort of like giving output creating leading trying to um empower your team trying to educate people trying to make things visually beautiful feel beautiful good ingredients you're you're just you're really trying to curate this whole performance yeah. and you put a lot of time and effort into that. Whatever your art was before will be sacrificed yeah. in ways, you know? And if you thought, you know, one day you would be a poet and that would be your job, you know, you you suddenly are, you're further and further away from that every year because you're, you in order to be a poet, you need space. You need time to think. You need to read. You need to read a lot. And so I I think that, I didn't, you know, I just thought, you know, we'll open this bar, you know, WC Harlan, it'll allow us to, you know, number one, as, as people who, you know, I was a school dropout, my husband is a musician, 
we we could barely afford our studio apartment rent, you know, together. And so it was just a thing where we thought we'd become financially secure with our, our bar would allow us that it would give me sort of a career path, but then I'd still be able to, mm-hmm. um, you know, write and I could work on writing and I could travel and all of these things. And, and the truth was that, um, my passion for service and, and curating these spaces and it just, it overtook everything else. And when it becomes successful, you get a nod like, oh, you're, you're doing it well, keep going. And yeah. then you, you get very far away from, you know, that person that you were before sitting at the cafe for five hours, you know, writing and probably pissing off the server because you're taking a table, which now I know, <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's like, so, so yeah, you, you make a lot of sacrifices. And also in terms of friendships, like my dear friends are super, like they're my everything, they're my family, but it's hard for me to make new friendships and have and, and hold that space and time for people because there's a lot of people in my life. You know what I mean? It's like, so it's, uh, yeah. So it's, it's, it's just, there's sacrifices that have to be made that should be considered before going into the service industry, essentially. Yeah. Thank, thank you for sharing that. I definitely can relate. When you, when you started describing, I was like, I feel that mm-hmm. I feel that as I'm, I'm doing this and, uh, I started off by doing a ridiculous, a, a much different podcast, and it wasn't really interview based and things of that nature. And it was very improv oriented. And now I've not been doing a lot of that. And that was the thing that's like, this is the reason why I got into it. This has always been a part of it. And, you know, maybe it was an opportunity to try to delve into being a comedian or trying to delve into being a personality within pop culture. And while this is great and this is wonderful and this took a lot of work to kind of get it going. It's like as it becomes more and more successful, I'm having less time to do the other stuff. And that's, yeah, it, it, it's a thing or what have you. And even the notion of time, like I have done a few other things related to this, being in the community, going to gallery openings, doing uh, movie screenings and things of that nature that feel connected to what I'm doing with this particular podcast. But it's still time. It's still things that I'm unable to sit there and even prep for something. It's like, how am I going to have the time to not make the time for this other thing? That That's what mm-hmm. I run into. So I, I relate. And um, but then you hear that positive influence. And that's the game that or the trick that you're told. It's like, wow, yeah, you're doing so great, man. You're like the king of this. You're, you're wonderful. You're, <laughs> you're the most interesting. Like, I'm nobody. But it's, it's one of those things. And you just go after it. And then you realize, like, I remember someone asking me, like, how do you balance all the things? And I told him this concept of, I steal time. I try to stack things. If I can maybe make a meeting with someone and maybe make a connection with someone, you know, you don't have time. So it's like, how do I make two things one? How do I kill two birds with one stone? And how do you multitask? And I recently learned, I think it was, um, it was a book about how to do more with less. And, and I'm, I'm doing the ebook thing and it, the, the author was like, there is no multitasking. He's like, you can have like high um, requirement tasks and you can have low requirement tasks and you can try to bring them together, but there is no multitask. You're just inefficient at both. Yeah. So, I've heard that recently. Yeah. yeah. So in learning these things, I was like, all right, I'm trying to shift the whole thing. So it's just a constant tinkering that I've been doing. And for the most part, this is pretty insular. Once we're done here. I'll let you know when the episode is up and then hopefully you share it. And that's the extent of it. But when you're in a place and you, you have like 
like not one, but various like like businesses with people that are responsible that that feel you know that you're responsible for and a whole thing that you're curating. Yes, <laughs> I definitely get it. And you're like, damn it, I didn't have a chance to write some prose real quick. Like, what are we doing? <laughs> so. In that, I got two more questions, and, and, and then I'll ruin all the goodwill I've created with you by asking okay. you the, the rapid-fire questions. Um, so, I, uh, so we like what we like, right? And um, like I said, I follow what you do, so it's really, it's really interesting. What are you particularly snobbish about, and what are you more down-to-earth about? Uh, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't consider myself to be really, I mean, elitist at all. I, I understand that what I do is very niche, right? Like very specific. We have very niche categories of food and beverage, but sure. um, I always tell people whatever wine you like, that's the best wine. <laughs> you know, like what you like is the best and I'm happy you found it. Let me help you get more of that. Like I definitely am never, I don't feel like I'm a very judgy person. Um, I guess I, you know, I'm very sensitive to smells, I'll say. Um, so I'm snobbish about, you know, like I said, I don't like cars, right? Like a lot of that comes from, you know, you get into like an Uber cab and it has an air freshener in it and I have a headache instantly. And I'm like, you know, my, my mother used to wear like a lot of perfume and drive me around with the air on and just perfume blowing out my face. I'd be like hanging my head out of the car, like a dog, like trying to breathe. But I'm, I guess I'm snobbish about smells. You know, I really don't like perfume and cologne and, and those sort of like artificial smells, but just, it's really purely because I get a headache. And also I do feel if I'm in a restaurant having dinner and someone's wearing heavy perfume or something, I'm like, wow, I'd really like to smell this cocktail or this mezcal I'm drinking. I really can't though. You know, I'm like yeah. smelling. So yeah, I've definitely moved seats in restaurants before. And I think that's ridiculous. When I think about it, I'm like, that's so ridiculous. But it's just, uh, yeah, I guess, I don't know if that's snobbish or not, but it's just something I'm very like particular about. Um, down to earth. I think I'm pretty down to earth in, in general, but I think it's like sort of, uh, maybe it's like a protection against stress. You know, it's like my way of dealing. It's like, well, you know, sometimes at the end of the day, I'm just like, screw it. It's just money, whatever. I'll live to see another day. You know, I just sort of like have these like, things that just help me like let it all go it's just whatever 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 all good what am i gonna eat for breakfast in the morning i'll think <laughs> about that that'll make me happy you know i just um and i do have some pretty like high anxiety friends you know so i feel like i'm often sort of countering that and just being like you know at the end of the day it's all good like i love you don't worry you know so i think i think i i tend to be like kind of laid back um but you know maybe it's a sort of uh, defense mechanism. <laughs> yeah, I, I dig it. I dig it. And the, the, the smell thing is a thing for me as well. Um, it's like, look, all of the senses, it's like, don't repel all of my senses, please. And, you know, recently brought in a, you know, a new friend to the, 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 the family setting. And, uh, there is a lot of cologne that was flying around at one point. I was like, less just, I, you, you, when did you leave again? Oh, two hours ago. I thought you were still here. I could still smell you. Wow. <laughs> yes, that's exactly. And you know, also it's like, like I'm a person that enjoys wearing cologne, but it's like, go with something that kind of fits. And if you're at an interview, you know how to give you certain things. Like if you're at an interview, you're in a space, wear less of it. Just yeah. that's it. don't, you know, dance in it. Don't rain dance into the cologne or what have you. Don't do that. <laughs> right. right. Exactly. Um, 
So, so this is the last real question that I have. And then, like I said, I'm going to ruin all the goodwill I've created with you with these rapid fire questions. So, um, I, I hear stories often from, from entrepreneurs, how they go to a city and the city doesn't have great tacos. So, you know, they bootstrapped it and made their own plays and all of that. Um, and, and I guess that comes from this notion of not really feeling like they're being served and not feeling their voice is being heard and, and things of that, that, that nature. Has there been a time where you're like, I don't feel like I'm being heard or I'm being served of what my niches and what my interests are. And what was that response like for you? I mean, I've heard, I've definitely heard that story of people being like, I opened this cause there wasn't one and I wanted one, you know? <laughs> um, I mean, I would never, I, I just wouldn't do something I wasn't really, really good at. So, so although I wish we had, you know, like a good, a really good Filipino restaurant in town or something mm. like that, it's like, I'm not going to do it just cause it's not here unless I'm really, really good at it. When it came to WC Harlan, I, we did feel like, why is there no bar in Baltimore that doesn't have TVs or, or what, why did, why do all the bars have like really bright lighting? Right. Or, or why is there like a dozen craft IPAs on this menu? Why can't I just get a Pilsner? You know, like we felt that way, but also I knew that I was going to be really good at bartending in my own bar. You know, I knew that, that I had the skill in the know-how in order to do it. And when I say, I don't want to do something I'm not good at, it's, 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 it really has to do with my coworkers. Like I'm not going to bring people under my care unless I know that they have a future, unless I know that what I'm doing, I, I fully believe in it. And I fully believe it's going to have some legs. Right. Yeah. So I've never done anything just for the sake of like, just kind of wish we had it. It's always been from like a place of, absolute fire. I'm doing this. I be, I have to do this. People need to know about this. I need to share this. It's bursting out of me. We're doing it. And then somehow people have sort of, you know, welcomed it or, or trusted me or whatever. But, but no, I, it's like, I, that's just how it's always been for me. But I, I mean, the story you, you say, I've heard that many times and in, and sometimes it works out for people, you know? Um, and sometimes it doesn't. But well, thank you, thank you for that. That is, um, that's great. I, I like it. I, you know, in, in going through this, there's a few more similarities I'm recognizing between you and I that I didn't know were there initially. So <laughs> ten on ten. Um, and with that, I, I want to open it up to a few rapid fire questions. Um, and the way do these rapid fire questions work? You know, rapid fire questions are we just do them, we just answer them. Mm -hmm. Um, so all right, first one. Uh. No, actually, it's just four. Uh, first one, red or white wine? Red. Um, how do you make time to create? Do you do you put it on your schedule? Do you try to build it out? And I know that's something that you were discussing a little bit earlier, but do you just kind of, kind of set blocks like, look, I need two hours this week. I need six hours this week. What does that look like for you? I don't set blocks. It just happens when it happens. Very good. Favorite <laughs> metaphor when describing entrepreneurship? Motherhood. <laughs> um, the best compliment <laughs> you've ever received? Um, someone said that, uh, oh, wow. Yeah, probably someone said that, that they trusted me. That's, that's a big one. So that, there you have it. Uh, see, that was quick. This is the, actually the fastest rapid fire one I've ever done. So shout out to you. Um, <laughs> and, um, I want to one, thank you for being on this podcast. 
And Thank two, you. <laughs> absolutely. And two, I want to invite you to tell the fine folks where to check out your one million businesses. Every place to go <laughs> check out all lane all the time. So where can they check you out? Website, social media, all of that good stuff. And thank you again. Thank you. Um, my personal is Lanesome Dove on Instagram, WC Harlan, Clavel, and Fadensonen, and also our wine shop, Angels. They're all on the same street. So you could literally go to West 23rd Street, Remington, and walk from one to the others within five minutes. But um, they they don't all have websites, but all of them uh, are on the Instagram. So. So there you have it, folks. Um, I want to thank the great Lane Harlan for coming on and blessing the podcast with me. And uh, for Lane Harlan, I'm Rob Lee saying that there is art, business, food, drink, culture, all of that good stuff in and around Baltimore. Uh, You just got to look for it. (laughs) 